Hello, and welcome to the Modern Maker Podcast for Thursday, July 15th, 2021, otherwise known as... This is Slim Pick. Actually, there's four to pick from, but there are... They're all terrible, so I'll go with okay. Cow Appreciation Day because they give us milk, they give us beef. People can tip them. Let's appreciate those cows. Leather. There we go. Leather. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. The majority of our shoes and belts. <laughs> That's right. Suede's. Yeah, everyone's which, been mad about car. Everyone's been mad about cow farts lately, but no one gives them their credit. That's right. Mad diseases. Mad cow disease, they give us that. Um, yeah, mad cow disease. <laughs> they give it all. <laughs> Shout and out to all the cows. ask for nothing in return. <laughs> all, right. all right. It's been a while, right? It's been a minute. It has. Everyone's been busy. Mike, why don't you go first? You've had a, a parental visit. There's some automobiles purchased. <laughs> yeah, give two us the, of them. Man, a lot. Of- give us the breakdown yeah. of the great Gary Montgomery Joshua Tree visit. <laughs> All right. So the OG Gary, the Gary Montgomery, not the little ground squirrel. (laughs) My dad came out to Joshua Tree last week and it was a ton of fun. Last year, my mom and dad had come come out to Joshua Tree from Oklahoma to visit and it was a lot of fun. But it's kind of what happens when your parent when both parents are together is you kind of do things to help both of them be entertained. But it's usually kind of a sacrifice for one or the other. And so this year we came up with the idea I'll have my dad out for a week in Joshua Tree. I'll have my mom out for a week or so in Joshua Tree. And we'll be able to just hang out, do things, and, you know, not have to have my dad bored while I'm entertaining my mom and vice versa. So he came out during 4th of July weekend. We put up a sick flagpole in the front yard in a day, which was surprisingly quick to do. And... Yeah, we just crushed it. I mean, I'm trying to look back and remember everything that happened. And it's kind of like nonsense to try and remember everything because we were busy. But I made a highlight reel on my story if anybody's interested in seeing all of that. But I think the big thing that happened was I surprised him with a 1975 Corvette. And he was like blown away with it. He really enjoys the mid late 70s Corvettes. After you get away from the bubble glass, those are the models that he really enjoys, which is ironic. The the Stingray Exactly, which is ironic because I like the bubble glass. He just likes those C3s though. So I think it's just whatever you grow up with, maybe you kind of like the opposite of that. Mm. And he grew up around a lot of late 50s, mid 60s into early 70s cars. And I guess bubble glass and different radius glass was, it was definitely a premium thing, but it was something a lot of manufacturers were doing. Well, what year and was, so he doesn't see that as special at all. What year was he Whereas born? I... He was born in 1969. Okay, so maybe it was maybe it was like when he would have been 16 it was like, you know, it was a little bit older for car but cars had become sucky by the late 70s early 80s whereas like, you know, the glory days kind of ended for like muscle cars and all that stuff mid 70s. So it would have been exactly. like the cool car that you could have had when he was like 16 or whatever. You nailed it. Yep. And for him, like a 69 Camaro is obviously the coolest thing you could get, right? Nice. But anyways, it was such a cool day because I drive him out. I have to go about an hour and a half to get this car. Reason being, the guy who's delivering it from Minnesota, I think is where he was from. Oh, wow. He's driving into California to drop some stuff in LA. And then he's driving back out to Vegas and then coming down to Southern California to like San Diego, Joshua Tree area. And... I scheduled the delivery. I'm planning on it being, you know, whatever day of the week it was, but he calls me and he's like, Hey, this is going to be a couple days late for that reason. And I told him, well, that's not going to work because my dad's going to be gone and we've got to make sure and make this happen while he's here. And so I, I was talking to him and I told, and I said, Hey, you were just saying you were going to be in California before you go out to Vegas. Where are you going to be? We'll just meet you there. And so now I had a whole new task and surprise on my hand because I was planning on just having the car delivered while we were putting up this flagpole or doing a project and just being like, Hey, what's going on over there? Oh, wow. And just letting it be the surprise. But now I've got to manufacture how to get this guy to drive two hours into basically LA without knowing that we're going to pick this thing up. And it happened on such short notice, like an hour and a half before we left is when the driver called me. And, you know, he was just telling me the car was going to get dropped off after my dad was going to leave. So I just, we just had to book it. And so I walk up to my dad and I tell him, Hey, I got to go pick something up. It's some freight, but do you mind giving me a hand? That way we can get it into the bed of my truck. And he's like, what are you getting? I'm like, I can't tell you, but you'll see it when we get there. And at that point, his gears were turning <laughs> yeah. because why couldn't I tell him? Very suspicious. And two by fours. 
Yeah, <laughs> yeah we got to get a lock. Black market two by fours. <laughs> there was a moment in time where I thought about the perfect setup, but it was after we had already left. You know how expensive plywood is and everything? I, I wanted to, I realized I should have told them, hey, I've got like a really good deal. It's like an hour and a half away on like plywood that's half half price a sheet. I can get it for like 40 bucks a sheet right now. And we just got to go get a whole truck bed full. And I realized he would have said yes to that. And I should have used that. But I didn't. We just drove out. And my whole plan was just to confuse him by blatantly lying constantly the whole way. I'm like, yeah, I really need help getting this into the bed of the truck. And then I'm like, yeah, I don't know how you're going to get this thing home. And I don't know how you're going to fit it on the bike. And it's just all these different things to where I didn't want him to know what was the truth. I just wanted him to know there was a lot of lies. What if like you... That way he wouldn't know what to believe. What if you're driving out and you're like trying to think of other lies. So like somehow then you build it up to like, yeah, I didn't want to tell you, but I bought you a Lamborghini. And so then it gets yeah. to the point when he yeah. sees the Corvette and he's like kind of disappointed. He's like, yeah, it's cool, but it's there's not a no Lamborghini. Lambo. <laughs> How did you find the car? How did we find the car? Oh, classics auto trader. Really? Not, oh, oh yeah. yeah, yeah. I remember I've auto trader. Yeah. There's I'm like a, big a classics fan. version with like older cars. Yeah. I'm yeah. A, I'm a big fan of bring a trailer, but I'm not a huge fan of auctions and eBay classics, man. They, I've been watching eBay classics and it's cars are getting very expensive yeah, on eBay motors. Hot. It is. And so uh, I, I really like classics auto trader because it's the same as Craigslist. They're telling you what you, they want for it. And you get to decide if that's what you want to spend or not rather than an auction. Cause right now everything's going crazy. Used cars are blowing up. But anyways, we get close to the delivery. We're like 15 minutes out. And this is when I have to start keeping my head on a swivel because I don't know exactly where we're going. Yeah. I don't know if this car is just waiting on the street. Yeah, where were you? And so where were we? Yeah. Ah, man, we we're over in Riverside. Okay. It was somewhere called uh, like Oak Hills okay. or something like that. In the Inland Empire. It was in the Inland Empire. And we pull up to the address that Google Maps tell us. And it's the wrong side of a school. So it took us to sort of like the back entrance of a school and the delivery was across the street, but on the front side of the school. <laughs> and so this is the moment, you know, I know it's just, the it's reveal. around the corner. How's this going to work? The suspense has mounted. And so as we're turning around, we round the corner, but there's still no obvious spot like, oh, there's a car delivery spot. It's still residential. Yeah. And I know we're not meeting at this school. And so I know it's one of these houses, but I'm looking to them. I write normal house. Next house, look to my right, normal house. And then the third one, I glance over and I see the car because there's about 20 cars in the, in the yard of this house. And my dad's like, oh, that's a nice Corvette. That's really sick. <laughs> and I'm just like, huh? You know, in my head, I'm like, what? What's a Corvette? Yeah. And I just go, yeah, that is really cool. And then I keep driving forward. But in this moment, my gears were turning a million miles a minute or a second where my inner monologue is like, dang it. He saw a million it. miles a minute. But no, I don't know that he did. <laughs> yeah, no, it's yeah, more and I'm a, Right. <laughs> yeah. I'm moving so fast, so fast right now. But anyways, my gears were turning. I'm like, oh, crap. He got it. Maybe he doesn't know. I ended up giving it away. I'm like, man, you got good taste because that's exactly what I brought you here, here to get. That's your Corvette. And there was like a moment where my dad was like smiling and I feel like he was half registering what was happening. And then when it hit, he was just like, no. <laughs> and he's like, you are not. And I'm like, yeah, I can't believe that you guessed it. I can't believe that you literally just saw it, pointed it out. Didn't ruin the surprise. Cause he had, he yeah, genuinely didn't. did not know that that's what it's it was. Just a cool Corvette. So it, 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 I was about to say, it's just a cool Corvette that he felt like pointing out. Cause he thought I would like it. And so anyways, yeah, that's long story long. And it, <laughs> It was an awesome week, though. My dad was out. We got a lot of things done. Really just got to spend some quality time together. And I don't know. It's fun. Did you film the whole reaction and all that stuff? I was wanting to. I was wanting to bring the camera along with me. But once everything become short, became short notice, like I had to be there right. in a couple of hours. It was hard to set up. Yeah. It just became logistically a little too difficult to set up. But yeah, check out the Instagram stories if anybody missed it. I've got a highlight on my profile. It's pretty funny. And my dad was really hamming it up for the cameras. It's funny. I think if people watch that, they kind of see where I get it from because I was pulling it out of him. And I think the Internet just pulls yeah. it out of me. And so how many times it was a fun week. But yeah, I was talking to Jesse and we were sort of looking at your your stories and kind of giggling a little bit. And then I was like. Do you think they? Do you think Mike calls his dad bro? <laughs> uh, sometimes on accident, <laughs> bro. 
Sometimes on accident, for sure. But mm. I, I do think it was really funny, though. Maybe you guys have a little bit of experience with this. Chris, you're going to have experience with this. My not kids too are going to buy me a Corvette? Um, no, uh, maybe. Hopefully. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah. You want, if you want one, I'll take one. I, if you express interest and have successful children. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I've always like held a flashlight for my dad or just carried stuff for my dad while he's the lead for a project, whatever yeah. we're building. It's in his brain. We're kind of putting it together. But as a kid, you develop a certain set of skills, which are just quietly observe figure out what's happening without asking questions so that you can just be helpful and useful without being annoying. Right. You know what I mean? My dad and I basically like reverse roles this week mm-hmm. where it was Freaky like, what Friday. are we doing today? You know, that's what my dad asked me every day. What are we doing today? I'm like, well, we got to put up this, we got to put up this accent while in the bedroom or today's flagpole day, whatever it was, I was kind of setting the schedule or I was at least project lead. And man, my dad did not have those skills. He was rusty at least because he was just constant like, are we there yet? Are we there yet? With every question. And it was funny because I, I definitely didn't want to get frustrated with him because that was definitely not the point of him being here. Yeah, that- There's a couple times like, I just need no more questions. Just watch what I'm doing. And if you see a place to fit in, slide in. But I can't tell you what I'm about to do because I'm about to do it. Just watch, that- you know, and I didn't want to get frustrated. But you know how it goes. That role reversal is really interesting. Like when you right. first start noticing that and it's it's specific to certain categories of things. Like there's still things I'll ask my dad a ton of stuff about, but it, it does kind of catch you off guard the first time in a specific arena, you realize that those roles have have reversed where I know the, the dad's asking the son for, oh, how would you go about doing this? And my dad's a pretty handy person. His fabrication skills are probably most advanced in like making fishing poles and stuff like that. But he's worked with a lot of things from like epoxies to to basic sort of woodworking and stuff. Yeah, he definitely has like above average right. dude skills in that department. So it is funny though, you know, once I start making videos though, then he has all these kind of, they're very like workbench con questions, like interested participant, like, oh, why'd you do it this one over this one? Like, Talking a little yeah. shop. So it, it's funny all of a sudden when the roles sort of reversed. And it's one of the nice things about YouTube is that it makes your work accessible. Whereas he knows what to ask that intersects with what I do and his interests because he watches a lot of the videos. Whereas when I was doing more architecture, that was more invisible to him. So he hmm. was asking oh, yeah. much broader questions. So I think it is like one of the nice things about kind of making your work a little bit more visible in public is that it allows, you know, people like my parents to kind of catch up on what I'm doing. And then when I do have conversations with them, they're very like informed questions that are kind of up to date. I don't have to always start from scratch explaining everything. Yeah. Yeah. That is a really good point. And I feel like that's across the board just with people and like Facebook, obviously, but now that parents are on Instagram and everything too, you kind of know what's going on day to day rather than just having like a small talk catch up every time you get to see each other in person. So just to speak to the other side of it. So my oldest kid is eight years old. So we've not gotten to the, and I'm 40. So we have not gotten to the place yet where like he could beat me in a race. Like I can still whoop his ass in a race. <laughs> like a foot race? Is that what you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, I'm, I'll smoke him. <laughs> there will be a day. Yeah, someday it'll happen. Like, you know, I'm getting slower. He's getting faster. So at some point we're going to cross each other. Yeah. But the one place that I have seen it is like, so he's into video games and I still like video games, but I don't play them that much. But like, so like in Minecraft, like he does like all kinds of like, you know, commands and all kinds of stuff. Whereas like, I'm like, wait, what do you, how do you do this? You know, I'm not used yep. to that. Yeah. Fortnite, we used to go... 1v1 a lot and I would always it was kind of like the foot race where I'd have to like take it easy on him a little bit and then I would you know I'd, I'd, I'd give him a couple headshots to just show him who's boss real quick but then I, I'd keep it even I'd keep it even so he wasn't crying and complaining but he still plays it quite a bit and I haven't played it in a long time and I'll watch him and like he's pretty good like he's gotten victory royales and like solos and like he's he's gotten pretty good at it to the point where I think yeah. if we played he'd probably beat me but I haven't, I haven't tested the waters yet. I should probably get in soon because it's only going to get worse. Yeah. That's like whenever you play pickup basketball with your dad in, in the yard and he's like, all right, no more one-on-one. We're playing horse. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's like we're just shooting around tired. now because you're driving. Yeah. You're, you're driving to the basket Stick too hard shoulders to the chest. Yeah. yeah. The, it's that, uh, it's sort of that eclipse when, when one thing sort of shifts over another one and you're like, oh, wow, things have changed. Chris, what have you been working on lately? 
So, man, since we last talked, I went to Des Moines for a week. Yeah. Ooh. That's where Craig's headquartered in Iowa. Mm. Well, not in Des Moines, but they're in Iowa. So I Craig's went there. as in jigs, not lists. Yes. With a K, <laughs> not with a C. Or just any other dude named Craig. Probably, I'm sure there's a few Craig's hanging around in Des Moines. Anyway, so I went there and worked on a project with them that I don't think I'm allowed to talk about it in specifics a lot yet, but basically I was building things. I was not like testing out product or anything like that, but doing some kind of DIY builds for a, for a big endeavor that they have coming up. So that was fun, but that obviously took me away from doing my work for a little while. But then the things that I've been working on since then is renovating the office, which I had talked about. We've got everything like built for it, but now it's just a matter of like installing everything and then when I got back, because Sean had to leave for a week then, so I was looking for something kind of quick that I could do on my own. So I kind of went back. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, like going back to the well on project ideas. So like there yeah. was the splinter table thing that I had done. And then I had done Ooh. the epoxy locking joint. So I wanted to go back to that idea of epoxy joinery. So I had had an idea like way back then, which was, I don't know what to call it, either like floating joinery or maybe invisible joinery, but... Basically, like sometimes you'll see it where I think people actually have used epoxy for it. Well, they'll, they'll do like an exploded diagram of something where mm -hmm. they would like cast it where it's yeah. like things are separated. So I want to do the idea of like where joinery is like floating apart. Right. But rather than making a whole project, I decided to just test out the joinery to see if it was even a viable option. So I did kind of a video where I'm, I guess, like documenting going from just like a idea to what's the best way to go about it, testing it for strength, all that stuff. So that's what I spent la the, a few days last week doing and then editing that all together. So hopefully by the time this episode comes out, that video should be out. It's pretty much done. I just have to do a few little last minute tweaks and then we should be good to go. Does this mean you have to come up with some kind of name for this joint? I'm calling it, I think the thumbnail title, I had put text that says invisible joinery, but in the video, I actually say like ah, okay. floating or invisible joinery. I like it. Yep. Very DIY perks. There you go. You know that channel? You ever watch him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like an English dude. Yeah, it reminds me. He built like an invisible PC one time. I guess that's probably the dot I'm connecting. There you go. Invisibility. So you went to the Craig factory though. Did you tour the facility and everything? So I wasn't, I wasn't oh, actually. Oh man, at, it's so cool. I know. Yeah. Oh, that's right. You guys went there when you did that. The I think it was like Wood Magazine Conference because okay. they're based in Des Moines as well. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I didn't get to because we were, I was there for three or four days and it was like every day was jam-packed with filming stuff basically and, and building a project each day so it was and you can't tell us stop. what this tool they're unveiling is it's not a tool oh it's not oh <laughs> that was a hint in itself chris there you go that was a hint right there well, it's not a tool made by craig all right that that's NDA all we get you sign that's what i was about say to say no that's more. all we get because i don't want <laughs> i don't want chris to breach a contract no i'm paying money to do this <laughs> All right. All right. Awesome. Ben. ben, what are you up to, man? Well, I finished all, at least the first drafts of the videos for the Krylon series that I'm working on, the patio renovation series. It's a four-part series. I might squeeze a couple more videos in between just because of, you know, sort of other sponsor requirements. The first one's out. We made a fire pit out of the car rims. I never really intended the series to be focused on upcycling, but when I thought more about the cost of materials and stuff like that, although they do seem to be coming down now, yeah. which is encouraging, it did seem like, oh, and we have a we have a ton of junk at, at uh, Jesse's uh, poop house. So it all sort of ended up working out that way. And yeah, I'm pretty impressed with the the spray paint. We're going to test it with a by power washing the the, the plastic chairs that I, that I repainted and we're going to do it live on Instagram for the Instagram live. And it's like, I told the sponsors when they wanted this that, all right, if you do want this live thing and we power wash the paint, like I'm not going to like, it could fail. It could fail. <laughs> yeah, like what's your, what do you feel is going to happen to me? It feels like paint would fail to power washing. Yeah. Especially spray paint on plastic. Yeah. So, the only good thing about the chairs that you're doing them on is they have no like hard corners. It's all radius edges. Yeah, okay. So so maybe they, maybe it'll be hard for it to start peeling. But I think once you have a chip go, that water is going to try and shoot underneath and separate the paint yeah. from the plastic. Once there's a, once there's a chink. A like, breach. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yes. It's like the weakest link go. kind of thing. So I don't know. I keep telling brands like 
just be realistic and keep it straight. Like, yeah, if you're if you feel your spray paint is best in class or commensurate with how it should perform, and it's just not a realistic performance thing, but you still kind of want to throw it out there, like that's not a terrible thing. Like having yeah. people have Let's better expectations fails. about your products is like a really good thing. Like if Taco Bell was presenting their stuff as like authentic <laughs> cuisine, <laughs> it's like, uh, well, culture as culturally authentic cuisine, I'd be like, yeah, no, but it can still be fine for what it is. Yeah. I'd be like, like remember those pizza hut commercials where they'd wrap, like, it's great. They'd trick everybody at an Italian restaurant with their pasta or whatever. Just have oh. the people be like, oh, it's pretty good. Maybe the maybe the, maybe <laughs> the main chef is out sick today. It's not bad. I, yeah. I, I would pay, you know, $8 for this. And they're like, oh, it's only $6. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's $2 <laughs> when it's all relative. Yeah. Just less hyperbole and more sort of realistic expectations. Because I think that's actually the key to sort of building a brand is the consistency and like or setting the expectations slightly exceeding them and then consistently applying them. Right. So not over promising. But then again, then again, it never hurts when you crazy glue some stuff together and have the guy from Game of Thrones, yes. the, like World's Strongest Man, move stuff around too. Every so hyperbole works in situations. Every once yeah. in a while, that's a, oh, it's a good move. It gets eyeballs, yeah. So that's okay. That cool. series is coming together. The first one's out. Did you find any secrets or any good lessons in either prep for? Because you were doing a lot of stuff that was metal with a little bit of surface rust, but I don't know how much you were doing that was deeply pitted. Do you learn any like prep in terms of like different abrasives or different scouring pads that are good? I just like wire brushing with a angle grinder, like a, with a cup shaped Boom. one. I just yeah. find, and you get the the handle on that, so you got a good grip. You put the full face shield on because occasionally one of those wires will. I had one of the wires just sticking out of my legs because it it came. Mm. It was a braided <laughs> one too, so those tend not to throw wires, but it threw it like a little dart, and it's just like stuck, like right through the jeans. Wow. Not not nothing too too bad, but uh, I've definitely been going full face shield when I do it. Smart, got it. But yeah, the, yeah, when I'm in the, the wire brushes and I just keep the two different shapes of them on two different angle grinders. And that I think is what speeds it up is having both angle grinders right there. One with like the flat disc and one with the cup and being able to go back and forth for, you know, the places that are kind of hard to reach with the other one, I think is, mm. is the best practical tip. Yeah. I see those specialty like little paint remover tools that kind of look like a sander and all this sort of stuff, but you really can't beat an angle grinder. Yeah. It's just so aggressive. If you're going to... And if you're going to spend money on a tool, it might as well be a tool you can use for, I think, a thousand things, actually. So, shouts out Angle Grinders. But real quick, let's give some shout outs to some amazing sponsors. So, what we're working on is brought to you by SawStop. Shout out to SawStop for sponsoring this podcast for, for quite a while now. They're the best and safest table saws that uh, I've come across. We all use them, although Mike has still not quite got his uh, job site one yet, but I have the contractor set up. And Chris, which one do you have? I got the PCS and actually I'm making up for Mike because I also have a job site one. Boom. That's a good point. So they're fantastic. They're safe. Check them out. They're great. Big thanks, Saw Stop. Links are always in the show notes. Boom. Chris, we're going to keep this rolling. Give us the job site review. You've given us the P PCH review. PCS review, yes. That's what I said. <laughs> H is S now. Yeah, the uh, job site is great. So the only other job sites that I've ever used are I had a DeWalt one, and then I've used... You guys had a rigid one one time yeah. that I used. First off, that rigid one without a soft start scared the hell out of me when I turned it off. Oh, yeah. No <laughs> soft start is like aggressive. So yeah. the to go back to the the job site one as a saw it's great but like one of the really cool things about it is all the other engineering that they put into it so the other one that I had was very similar in that it had like you know where you can wheel it around and then you get the little legs out and pull it up and everything the most impressive things to me about the job site one, I guess because I was so used to my normal saw stop, were the way that it unfolds. So you basically just will it out and then it's got like a little lock thing that you put your foot on and then you just pull it and it all just like unfurls. And then you do the same oh, thing nice. to collapse it. So it's super easy. There's no like awkwardness of like trying to hold this up and pull a leg out. Like it's crazy the engineering that they put into just that. And then they also did this thing that like I actually wish that they had this on the the full size 
cabinet saws is you can do one turn that brings the blade to full height. So it has this like crazy like gearing where like you do a turn and just like whoop. Whereas like, you know, a normal table saw, you're like have to rotate the handle 30 times to get it to come all the mm. way up. And then if you want, yeah. you can use this. And actually the same thing with the tilting. So the tilting, you squeeze a little handle and then you just like turn it to tilt it. But then it's got a micro adjust thing that's actually a knob so that you can like fine tune the angle. And like, again, I feel like something like that would actually be helpful on a full size saw. So I don't know. It's like they put a lot of engineering even beyond just like they didn't just strip it down no it's not just like hey we have our break in there and we can rest on the laurels of being safest like they put a lot of engineering into other things that make it the best job site saw that i've ever used amazing awesome well like i said if you're interested check out the links in the in the show notes and thank you genuinely to saw stop if you need a great functioning saw they're the place to go if you need a well-engineered saw, they're the place to go. And if you're concerned with the safety of your fingers, check, check, check. All three boxes, they are the way to go. Thank you, Saw Stop. And while we're at it, I'd like to give a big thanks to Indeed.com for sponsoring today's episode. The key to success is finding an edge and leveraging it. If you're hiring, that edge is Indeed. Indeed is the job site that makes hiring as easy as one, two, three. Post, screen, and interview candidates all on Indeed. With Indeed, you get your quality shortlist of candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description faster. Plus, you only pay for the candidates that meet your must-have qualifications and schedule and complete video interviews in your Indeed dashboard. Indeed makes connecting with and hiring the right talent fast and easy with tools like Indeed Instant Match, giving you quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your job description immediately, and Indeed skills tests that on average reduce hiring time by 27%. According to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined, so if you're hiring, you need Indeed. So get started right now with a free $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com modern. Get a free $75 credit at Indeed.com modern. Last time that is Indeed.com modern. Offer valid through June 30th. Terms and conditions apply. And we're back. All right. Since we haven't been around for a few weeks, we've taken a couple of episodes off. We're going to keep what we've been up to going. And Ben, what are you continuing to be up to? What am I continuing to be up to? Well, I'm working on, I guess I've already sort of started, but I'm becoming a farmer, <laughs> but in a very futuristic <laughs> kind of went way. went a different way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So... I got the full farm shelf unit. It's huge. It's about the size of a refrigerator. And I've been going through the process of setting it up, calibrating all the pumps. There's these like four different types of nutrients and chemicals that sort of change the pH balance of the water. It's basically a hydroponic system. And this is like this robot garden, right? It looks, I've yeah. seen it. It's what's in the studio right now at your place. Yeah. It looks like a very futuristic server rack that it yeah. grows plants and it kind of has fans and pumps and it's very complicated and industrial. It wasn't too bad to sort of set up and use. It's super heavy. Like the whole thing probably weighs about like 500 pounds when you fill it up with sort of water. But it, you know, a lot of actual really Michelin star rated restaurants use these things to sort of grow the best quality herbs because it's so precise in how it can control the nutrients going to each particular plant or segment of, or plant types that you have in these different hydroponic trays. So I'll be starting to post content on that, but they send you the seeds and they send you the thing and then you put the seeds into this pod and there's a special tray to where they germinate and sprout. And we just finished transplanting the sprouts into the trays. So now oh, they're awesome. growing and they're growing so fast. Really quick, how did you get the seed from sprout? Did you put it in like a little wet paper towel between or, or, or do they have something that they provide you? They have something that they provide you. It's these little peat moss pods that you put it in. Nice. And that kind of is basically a organic sponge. And yeah. then they put their just the right amount of light on them. And yeah, they control light, humidity, and nutrients. So Okay, so now you got sprouts. You transplant those into the larger vessels that they're going to be housed in. Right. And then how long are they there for? Or are they there forever? That's what they grow in? 
It depends on the plant. Like there's some things where in general they say eventually they kind of go to seed. So we're growing everything from basil to kale, sorrel, all sorts of lettuce. A lot of leafy greens tend to do the best. It's not that you can't do other things. It's just that the yield is particularly great relative to the space and time that you put into it. So yeah. we do eat a lot of like dark green leafy vegetables. So that's like kind of our focus. The You can keep trimming, like if you're growing lettuce or kale, you can just keep taking the outer leaves and the plant will just keep growing. Now, eventually it'll kind of go to seed and reach its sort of cycle. And it seems like that cycle is probably like two to four months, somewhere in between there, depending on how aggressively you harvest. So that's kind of what the focus on the video will be. It'll be less of a build and more as like, is this practical for our lifestyle? And there, I'm friends with the CEO. I told him I was going to kind of play it straight. And I think that's the actual question is that if you're going to spend a lot of money and take up a lot of space with something this big and complex, it's, it doesn't help anyone to overhype it. So we do eat vegetables on a regular basis and we'll sort of try it out and see like, is this something that's worth the the space and trouble here at Maker Ranch? So I don't know if you've looked into this, but being in Joshua Tree Desert, like what kind of stuff could you grow outside in like, you know, a normal garden that's like a realistic, you know, I made a little place and I put some seeds in and I water them and, you know, you're not taking like extreme measures. Like, is there stuff that people grow around there? There is. You you can grow a lot of things. The You'd probably need semi-shade, which is also something I've been looking into. So, there's so much sun and it's really dry that it's really easy to have two or three days where there's basically zero humidity and it's 110 degrees out. And that just wilts a lot of plants. So, obviously, you can water more, but it still doesn't really deal with like the kind of ambient temperature. So, right. like the Home Depot, for example, they have a shaded kind of area where they're using like a nylon fabric that blocks about 50 to 70% of the sunlight. Gotcha. And what's interesting, I've been looking into this actually, is that there's all these different fabrics that block different percentages of the Hmm. sun that are UV resistant. So I'm interested in shade structures. I'm interested particularly in ones that are kind of more of a, of a mesh because it also gets really windy out here. And when we've had like complete sun blocking tarps and stuff like that, eventually the seams tore out over time with the sort of, you know, repeated three nights in a row of like 30 to 40 mile an hour winds. It just takes a toll on the stitching. Yeah. So I'm interested in these ones that aren't blocking all the air. They're really just blocking about like 60% of the air and about like 30% of the sun. That seems to be the kind of trade-off when you sort of go with these bigger meshes that are a little bit more porous. So I've been ordering some of those. So you can do it, probably not relative to the amount of time and attention and unpredictable schedules we have. Occasionally, we're going to be gone for like two or three weeks at a time and you come back and if you put a lot of time yeah. investment into starting those plants. So, that's what I, what I think the interest in the farm shelf is, is the consistency. I'll put in the effort to plant things. I grew blueberries on the roof of my house in Boston, but one month of travel can totally offset like six months of preparation and consistent work and sort of getting the plants up to that point. You have one missed sort of irrigation cycle and they all die. That's really discouraging. So I think it's not that we couldn't farm without this, but we wouldn't. So it's like, does this get us? And so that's the sort of question I think from a design angle is, is the added complication of like setting this up, having this big machine that takes up a ton of space. The fans are a little bit noisy, which is also, I think, uh, something they need to work on. Does all of those sort of liabilities, but the ability to constantly just go off and pick just the right amount of lettuce and probably reduce a lot of food waste because you can kind of just take your scissors and clip just how much you need for dinner. So that's the kind of thing that I think will be the focus of the review. And in general, I think I'm going to start doing on my second channel more kind of review videos. There's something I've never really thought was that interesting, but because I think like reviewing a circular saw, not that interesting, there's not enough differential. But as I'm getting access to these crazier and crazier machines that have a higher price threshold, I think this is where it actually becomes interesting. It's like if you really want a garden 
but you don't have a lot of space and you haven't had great success with it, you still kind of want to have a lot of things answered in an authentic way before you drop, you know, three to $5,000 on a robot garden. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. I remember last episode, I think it's, I got to think back because it was a few weeks ago. You were talking about getting that gigantic concrete saw for drilling, like basically cylinders into like concrete stem walls. You got it, you said? I got the, I got the concrete saw. It's like, you know, it's like a big long drill, right? It's a real, well, the drill hasn't come yet. I got the saw first. So, I'm getting okay, both cool. a saw and a drill. The saw is much more in like the, the total package is about like a $900 package. It's a nine-inch diamond blade concrete saw. You can also Baller. cut steel with it as well. We're going to cut a lot of things with it. It's, I haven't tested it. I just set it up and put the blade in and, you know, charge up the batteries. It's only 10 and a half pounds. It's a Milwaukee saw. Milwaukee makes great stuff. You know, it's funny. It's like uh, I think I've been so conditioned to you know getting all the the sort of skeptical comments about Ryobi tools. I'm interested to see if that happens when I sort of test out these bigger Milwaukee things and just whether yeah. it's an inherent brand hatred for everything. <laughs> well, I mean, you've got you've got a really good point though with the idea of no one really or everyone knows what to expect out of one circular saw from the next and everyone's kind of upgrading changing so quickly that a circular saw review from three years ago is not relevant because it probably wasn't brushless motors and so everything changed right away with that you know but these bigger priced items i like it man because you have thoughtful opinions but it's just you got to find the stuff people want to hear the opinion on and stuff like this. I think you, you're right in the, I think you're right. You're right in line with, especially the, the farm shelf thing. That's so perfect. So I look forward to that style of content with you. Cause I'm sure you're going to have a, a fun way of like showing different experiments and deciding whether things are actually worth it. You know? Well, it's also, I watched a bunch of review videos and they, cause all- a lot of, well, they're terrible. Go for it. I apologize. Yeah, and I imagine what they're doing is just saying, "Well, I was able to grow this much, and it was able to grow this much worth of food, and it the the farm shelf offsets itself after this period of time. And if it's worth it to you, great, you know. But it's not. I imagine it's something like that, where it's just kind of like proving that the specs are true, which is useful. But the the reviews that I right. really enjoy on other stuff aren't so much of saying like, oh, this fast car will go fast. It's like, show me what's so cool about this car. Tell me why I should care. You know, I think it's because when people make review videos, they start with the bullet point features of whatever they're reviewing. So I yeah. watched some review videos of this concrete saw that I got and It felt like I was just looking at the packaging unfurled into a six to eight minute videos. Oh, so this version has this many torque. It's a this inch arbor. That's all stuff I could look up. I don't need that explained in a video. That actually makes me really impatient to watch. I think some people do just like to sit back and have it fed to them. For me, I don't find that that interesting. If I want to look at specs, that should be written. What I'm interested in is a perspective on when do you make the jump between this and this, or is there something in between, right? So, I'm trying to think of how I want to, you know, what I want to test. I don't just want to like cut a cinder block. That's what like every single review video did is I want to think that like, I would not use this unless I had this many hours of this type of work coming up, right? Mm -hmm. So, if I just wanted to cut a cinder block to to do a corner detail on a, a wall, I probably could just put, you know, some sort of diamond blade on my angle grinder. So, at what point do I go from like my circular saw, which has a seven and a quarter inch blade, and I can put different blades on them. It's probably not great for it in terms of the dust. There's no water or anything like that. I can cut stuff with a angle grinder. Where's the point where I don't just make do? Is it this total amount of work where it's saving time or is it the actual specificity at which this new tool can achieve a task more precisely or with better quality result. So, I'm trying to think of how do I create these scenarios where it's both amount of hours it will save or that to sort of justify what is a, you know, a 10x price increase versus the alternative tool. Right. Yeah, I think the closest that I've ever done to like a review type video would be probably when I got the X-Carve Pro and... yeah. I was very 
conscious the whole time that I was making that video and, and working with it, not to have it be a review of the X-Carve Pro, but have it be a, okay, there's, I, I have a lot of experience with the smaller entry level, more like hobbyist type CNC, right? And then there's huge industrial CNCs that nobody realistically is ever going to have inside of their house and, or in their garage or their workshop or whatever. And then I looked at this one as like, oh, it's kind of like an intermediary where like, if you were running a small business or doing custom furniture or whatever, like this could be a value add. So I tried to look at it through that lens of like, not what is this one compared to other things in the market, but just does this tool add value to my life and what I'm doing? So like more of a, who would this be good for rather than a, is this thing good? If that yes. makes sense. And I think yeah. the other thing that I watch reviews on, that I, I, there's a clear difference between good and bad. I think it's camera and video equipment. Obviously, when a new camera comes out or whatever, if I'm interested in purchasing one, I'm going to do a little bit of digging. And what right. we've already said about specs is really important. And I think that that's right off the top. Everyone gets that too. But it's just showing use case. Like if I want to see a camera, I just want to see the best thing that you can possibly shoot with that camera. Because there's nothing that you can do that can convince me otherwise. Like if you show me that you shot something awesome with that camera, I'm going to be pretty convinced. But if you have a review and you do your best and the shots are not impressive, right? Then it then it doesn't work. Like at most, maybe you could break down and say, how does this camera do with movement? How does this camera do in situations where there's you know higher frame rates or or, or lower frame rates and all of this sort of stuff? But at the end of the day. Just like whenever we're talking to brands about, you know, you know, uh, like a tool brand coming to us wanting to sponsor a video. It's like the best thing I can do is just show it to people yeah, and I'll use it in use a clever it. way. Let me just use it and show people that it's cool. And if they like it, then that that's the goal. That's the best we can do. And I think that the ethos of that in a review is the move too. It's like, hey, let's maybe be a little bit silly, see what kind of weird stuff we can cut with a concrete saw. Let's get out outside of the box. But I like your breakdown on figuring out how do we define useful and then what are the different categories of useful for different people? And then you get to see whether it checks those boxes or not. Well, I, Mike, I like it. I think it'll be cool content. So to use you as an example, do you remember when you bought, because what, you bought your Sony like six months ago, something like that, sure. whatever. Yeah. Do you like, what was the most important thing to you? So there was a few factors that I thought were cool that were like sellable factors. Moving to 4k was something that I absolutely was going to do. I had had an SD card corrupt on me once in the past and cost me way more money than what the camera was worth because I ruined, I, I ruined a whole video and that I could have bought three cameras with that, uh, with that video's revenue. And so I needed to have dual SD card slots and I liked Sony just because I like their e-mount platform. And mm -hmm. so on specs, there were a few things that I knew before I watched any review that I already liked. And so every time a reviewer went on and told me about a minute of information about, oh, you can record to dual slots. You put an SD card in here. You put an SD card in there. Oh, they can also take CF Express cards if that's what you're interested in. Let me tell you about this. It's like, dude, I already looked at the manual. Don't tell me all this. Like, right. just go shoot with this thing and show me what is cool. Oh, yeah. Tell me what about your experience? What did it elevate about your experience with it? Exactly. And, and, and I think the coolest thing with my camera, the selling feature that really got me is it has internal stabilization. And so it's got like this little gimbal inside of the body of the camera. It's not as good as like a DJI Ronin, but like what you're talking about with the X-Carve, Chris, it's right in between. It's directly in between having no stabilization and then putting it on kind of a, stand, a standard stabilizer. And I was very skeptical of that feature. I didn't know if it would work. I didn't know if it would be mediocre. But in my mind, if it did work, that's amazing because that saves me a lot of time and it improves my production quality. And so that was what I was looking for in all of my reviews. I knew there was one feature that might be good and it might be whack, you know? And so I just mm -hmm. wanted to validate that and then, pr and then prove that everything across the board was up to par. So I saw videos where the stabilization was fire from people that seemed reputable enough. And that was the thing that made me decide to get that camera on like an impulse buy rather than considering it longer. Yeah, the, I bought the same camera and what triggered me over to the point of, OK, I'm going to hit that purchase button on, you know, expensive camera was 
nothing to do with the features and those things. When people throw numbers at you, they're often sort of out of context. You know, is this 10% better than the competition or is this exactly the same as what the competition offers, right? So just throwing the big numbers out there isn't that interesting unless it's a way to sort of visualize the progression versus your old rig. So if you're going up in yeah. megapixels or stuff like that, you go, oh, well, this is this percentage of improvement of the four-year-old camera that I have been using. So that's somewhat interesting, but I don't think that ne- really needs to make it into video content. What I think is what compels me to make a big purchase is when I understand first from a very conservative sort of point of view, am I, am I getting into the right tier? Am I overspending to be in a professional tier where I'm not going to use 90% of the things that I'm paying for? Or yeah. am I getting it? Am, am I in that right range? Am I from a broad scale? Am I taking the right amount of steps forward and not taking too many to the point where it's wasteful in terms of money relative to my sort of sophistication of use? So that's the first thing is I want to get an understanding as I watch these videos and talk to photographers and stuff like that is am I in the right ballpark in terms of classification and sort of price point? From there, it's being like, is there diminishing returns if I spend more or am I missing out on big things if I spend less? And so that's where I sort of evaluate features and specifications relative to that scenario. But I think it's so important to paint that scenario first if if you're someone in marketing. So when Mike described the camera to me as, look, This is just about good enough where you can make a Netflix show with it, but it's still in this kind of category of like lightweight kind of user-friendly prosumer cameras. And then when when I heard him describe that, that kind of prosumer, the high end of prosumer, I was like, oh, that's the broad category I want to be in, right? And then from there, it was about looking at specifications. For me, the thing that kind of really helped with that was seeing how well it did in low light and seeing the, you know, the sort of ISO flexibility, but still a non grainy image when you're, when you're shooting in low light. Yeah. And because we shoot outside and you're often racing against the sun, that ability to get an extra 15, 20 minutes of quality footage, even as the, the, the sun's sort of dwindling is super right. valuable. So more and more when I talk to brands, it's like, I, it's funny that I'm going to hype that book, Think Again by Adam Grant. But he talked about it. He studied all these people that competed in debate tournaments. And the people that did the best weren't the people that proposed the most supporting arguments for their position. They were the people that only presented a few of their best cases. So, more evidence doesn't convince somebody. The best evidence is more likely to convince. And actually, you can undermine your argument by using some of your bottom tier bullet points. And so, that's what I think is really tricky about... A great example is like a laser guide on a circular saw or a miter saw. Cannot be trusted in my book. Am I wrong here? Do any of you guys trust the lasers? Here's the problem. On a miter saw, I probably would. Okay. I, I wouldn't promote the fact that it has a laser. I would promote the fact that it's really easy to recalibrate and square the laser. That's, That's why. the feature, right? Yeah. So, it's like positive stops. Brands started finally sort of marketing positive stops because there's frustration from that. I don't care as much about the full range of flexibility. Oh, this saw can cut from this many degrees to this many degrees as I do about the absolute precision of the locked in sort of positive stop moments. So I think there's some, just cause you say it has all these capabilities, but you're thinking about all the times you've exercised similar capabilities, but had difficulty with precision under those sort of extended capabilities. You're kind of undermining your argument and you're just reminding people of all the pain that they've dealt with, with sort of not quite perfect 45s. Yeah, you're 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 battling yourself at that point. But that's cool. So you're you're ultimately going to become the king of reviews. We're going to be fast forwarding <laughs> 2 years and half of Ben's content are going to be reviews. No, it's going to be very He's going to be the next Marquez Brownlee. It's very few <laughs> and far between. It's basically a research phase. So yeah. I want to move into more heavy duty construction and architectural projects. And I have a lot of DIY friendly tools. They were perfectly fine for building a house. I The same welder I use for everyday furniture projects and the same circular saws I use to sort of build the container house with. 
that's not the problem. But I'm interested in $4,000 drills, excavation equipment, and these things that could potentially really reduce the amount of labor I have for doing large-scale projects. I still want to keep the team low. And so, what I'm interested in is, can I amplify, can I keep my human resources low, but expand my capabilities through technical resources? So, it'll be much more, it's like, does this unlock a meaningful new skill set or superpower if I get a $4,000 drill or a $30,000 excavator? And is it worth the time and money for those skills that it unlocks? Or should I just hire someone to do it? All right. Real quick. Call's going to end in like three minutes. Let's do our... Okay. We're going to do obsessions. We're on the clock. Everybody. All right. I got... Can I go? Go, Chris. (laughs) Okay. I think you should leave. Season two on Netflix is the funniest freaking show. Amazing. It is. Okay. Great. I think you should leave is so brutally awkward. It's like, it's almost hard to watch at times. But it's hilarious. I'm excited. I'm going to check it out. Ben, your turn. Go. Oh, same thing. This guy goes hard in (laughs) the paint. It is. It's intensely funny. Yes. Yeah. And it's unlike anything else. Throwback movie, Blast from the Past. Check it out. It's a classic. Like, it's very funny. It has Brendan Fraser. I think it's like his best movie, but it also has a pretty solid cast. So, check it out. Also, if you're local, go to 29 Palms Inn. We were talking about food uh, mm. with your robot garden bin. They actually have a whole farm to table desert garden. Yes. So, if anyone's interested in checking that out and local or visiting, 29 Palms is and that's uh, where the window 29 Palms Inn is going. Great place. Nice. Oh, no way. Yeah. Dude, it's a small world. And that's, I was about to say, that's a great place for it, too. Coming soon. All right. Awesome. All right, everybody. We appreciate you listening. Oh, yeah. Simple finish. Are we just, let's just keep talking until the hangout ends automatically. (laughs) (laughs) All right, everybody. We'll see you next time. Have a great week. Later, guys. Bye. Man, that was a fun episode.